Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode 12, where we'll be revisiting the film for your eyes only. I can't remember if I said this to you outside of the last episode or during it, but I wasn't looking forward to this one. Uh, maybe, I can't remember, but yeah. And maybe that's not fair, but there was something that told me, some sort of voice in the back of my head saying, like, run! Like, no! <laughs> you don't oh, no. You don't want to be in this era of Roger Moore. Uh, nothing good can come of it. But I feel like most people do like this film, and that might not be fair. Well, I, I, was, I was quite surprised when you said that to me, whether it was in the podcast or afterwards, because I feel like this is the blip in the Roger Moore I feel like that era already started with, with Moonraker really and this is this is the black sheep of oh. this section of films um, I'm sure you like having watched the film you understand where I'm coming from and I gotta say episode zero of this podcast I put this at number five of my worst Bond films yeah I remember that like we didn't talk and about it much because you were like I don't remember it <laughs> exactly exactly which is a bit of an unfair reason to put it there but I really, like, I could not have told you a single sort of stunt or scene or whatever from this film um, before watching it again recently. And I don't want to, I don't want to, like, show my hand too early here. But holy moly, what a breath of fresh air this film was. <laughs> oh, man. I really, yeah, like, I'm, it's definitely not staying at number five in, in the bottom, for sure. For well, sure. it's interesting that you say this is the black sheep because we talked about it uh, last week about how Moonraker, I feel like, has that reputation. And I think this one, may- maybe it does. I don't know. This is so confusing because this is like the back to basics, isn't it, right? Yeah. It's sorry we went to space that one time. Let's just get back to a good old-fashioned Bond adventure, which on paper sounds great. Um, but I feel like this one just kind of doesn't have a strong reputation like Spy Who Loved Me or Moonraker does. No, definitely not. And I think maybe that's like partly because of the bit of whiplash of those different styles where maybe, I mean, they were very successful films, right? Spy Love Me and Moonraker made a lot of money. Mm. So maybe people just wanted more of that. And then they got this and they say, hey, hang on, where's Mars? Like, where's where's the next location? <laughs> It's in the next logical step, Saturn. What are we... Yeah, come on now. I don't want to deal with boring missile tracking systems and things like From Russia of Love Again. No. Well, I yeah, I find this one an interesting one because guess what? We're about to start a new era of Bond. Let me Another one. Another era begins today. Because uh, just looking at the list of Bond films, you've got the Roger Moore era, which is seven films. And then you can group the first two, Guy Hamilton's films, uh, Live and Let Die, A Man with Golden Gun, very similar films. And then you've got The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, directed by Lewis Gilbert, very similar kind of films. And these last three films are all directed by John Glenn, which I'm assuming means they're going to be similar films, but I don't remember any of these films all too well. So I guess this is establishing this era, but I feel like now that we're in the 80s and in the John Glenn era, this was a, a little bit of a rocky one for the franchise as a whole, which eventually led to the reboot of, or soft reboot, I should say, uh, of Goldeneye in the 90s. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's a bit like, I think I spoke about Doctor Who last time as well, but a similar thing happened with Doctor Who where it sort of, it was this this really successful thing and then in the 80s it sort of lost its way a bit and 
same thing with Bond. I think with what we're about to talk about, for, for your eyes only, I ended up really liking it. Spoiler alert. But <laughs> um, maybe that this was where it started, the cracks started to show for for this era. For Roger's Bond. face. Yeah, I know what you mean. For... <laughs> well, you're not wrong there. You're not wrong there. Also, side note, why didn't we call this podcast for your ears only? <gasps> Is it too late? I think it might be <laughs> just Damn too it. late. That out of, when we were researching all this stuff, that one did not come up. We just didn't I'm even really think surprised. of this film at all. Oh, that that does that does make sense. But I, that makes so much sense that why has no one else done that? Yeah, we Maybe never saw is. that. No one. There's been lots of puns. I won't say any because I'm not going to plug those guys. No, no way. Uh, no. But there's lots of puns which are built off Bond titles. But yeah, no for your ears only. For your ears only. There you go. I could do the I could do the theme for it. Mm-hmm. We'll have you sing at the camera and record that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for your ears only. Maybe that could be that could be the next podcast. Yeah, yeah. When we do another podcast, that's what we'll use. When we do a, a, another ranking in twenty years' time, that's what that one's going to be. The called. Bond revisited, revisited podcast for your ears only. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get excited! Can we get it? Can we get it any longer? Can oh, we I get bet it any we longer? Can. Yeah, we'll think about it. Yeah. Uh, did you want to kick us off for this one? I always do this bit. I'm wondering if you you say you like this film. Do you want to get us started? Um, well, not really. Okay, cool. Uh, because I say I like this <laughs> film, but I really, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the beginning, so I'm going to leave that to you. Okay, cool. So we get the circles go across. It's another version of the Bond theme. I'm just going to be confident that it's different. I notice a lot of cowbell in this version, and I don't know if that's always been the case, but it really stood out to me that this cowbell was just being whacked over and over again uh, over this track. Maybe. I mean, we are, as you say, we're in the 80s now, so anything goes. It definitely has more pizzazz. I wrote down pizzazz. That's a good word. I did like it, though. I, I yeah. like this version of it. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, and I'm going to say it straight away, this is not John Barry. I'm very surprised how many of these films John Barry was just like, sorry, I'm busy doing something <laughs> else. But this is a guy called Bill Music Man, uh... Wow, what a name. Cotty? Bill Cotty? Conti? It's it's C O N T I. Okay, Bill Conti. That Conti. does ring a bell actually. Yeah. yeah, so a cowbell. Um <laughs> <laughs> So he also did the Rocky uh film scores and the Karate Kid. Oh. Okay then. That's an interesting mixture. <laughs> and he won an Academy Award for one of his films I'm I'm reading here. For this one, right? Hmm. Probably not. <laughs> not quite so much. But I like this one. But yeah, straight away, someone different. So we get a different version of the Bond theme, which is pretty good. And we zoom out and we see that we're on a graveyard. And there's a man walking through this graveyard. He gets to a... He's carrying some red flowers. He gets to a grave and we see uh, it says Teresa Bond on it. The wife of James Bond. Who? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't ring any bells to me. I don't care. No, it's, I mean, what a what a start! What a start! I was um, I so when I said I for, I didn't remember much about this film, that's a lie, because I did remember one specific line that's coming up in this pre-title sequence, which is just bizarre. And so that then, yeah, that reminded me of the bit with Tracy. Here she is, her grave, and it is 
it is nice to see this Bond going to see his his dead wife's grave. Um, however, it doesn't really make a lot of sense in terms of. It doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of they were, I believe, they were going to get a new Bond actor or they were thinking they were going to get a new actor for Bond, which is why they wanted to have this. But okay. Because it's still Roger, I don't know. It just feels like there's been such a gap and then they suddenly bring it back. Well, we did have it mentioned in The Spy Who Loved Me, right? We talked about that. We did. We did. That's true. So I think it was that. I think in terms of what they're trying to do with this film, trying to like ground it a little bit more and... Sep, you know, bring it back to the Sean Connery era. Although, ironically, this is George Lazenby's film that is referencing um, as a way of bringing it back to that. I quite like it, and I've said in the past about how don't think about the continuity too much because it doesn't make a ton of sense. But it doesn't mean I don't like the idea of this that all these films are connected. That Roger Moore's James Bond is actually the same character as Sean Connery's James Bond and George Lazenby. It's a bit weird. But I, I also do think I just like the idea of Bond's background being he was married, but she was shot down early on. Like, that seems like a very good kind of character development and background to him that explains some of his kind of behavior and makes him a little bit more complex without being like anything too crazy. So I think them reestablishing that kind of does build him up a little bit. I, I, I like it. And as you say, it's a pretty like bold start. Uh, some yeah. people probably never even saw on a magic secret so it's like the one with the australian no i didn't watch that what's going on <laughs> over over my dead body oh that's not very <laughs> oh, ew. 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 uh yeah i know I, I do i do like it too i just don't like where this this whole scene goes as you can probably guess but i do like that they tried and you did see a bit of did see a bit of solemn roger moore which you don't see very often and, and a bit of emotion there so i mean not a lot but a bit but it works as well like his lack of emotion almost works in a way he just has to not quip and he's suddenly very sorrowful (laughs) that's all it takes is just don't say anything and it's like bravo bravo give him the oscar uh yeah so bond is there and it reveals that it's bond with the flowers he places the red flowers on the grave and then this reverend comes over and says ah the the office called there's emergency and i think bond said oh there always is Mm. Um, which again no quip no quip just response that's how sad he is he's really sad yeah it was like oh, oh there were so many quips he could have done with death and grave and he didn't he must he must have wrote them down in the book at least <laughs> for later <laughs> he left it at home yeah yeah uh, so the reverend says that they're sending a helicopter to come and pick him up so a helicopter kind of lands nearby, which I was thinking, like, is this helicopter just going to land on all these graves? Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't see any helipads nearby in this small, like, church in the middle of nowhere. It's a very modern church. Yeah. I don't know what country this is even meant to be. I assumed England, but I don't know. Well, yeah. What Would, would Tracy be... I don't know. Would she be buried in England? Because wasn't she from... Well, Italy, I guess, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, yeah. I was about thinking about, like, where's Tracy from? Because I wanted to say Spain, because that's where they were. But it doesn't matter. Um, That was a few films ago now. So, yes, the helicopter land, Bond gets in. The pilot looks at Bond and signals for him to put on his seatbelt, which I thought was quite cute. Safety first. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Then flies off. And then, for some reason, the Reverend looks at Bond taking off and does, like, the Holy Cross sign 
like pointing to his head and then his stomach and then across. I guess he's in on what's about to happen. I don't. Yeah. Don't know. I I guess so. I I really like that though. It's kind of it. It's very ominous. Very ominous, and it. Yeah, I guess he. I guess he is related to what happens next. But it was a small thing they did there. But uh, I did like that. Hmm. Yeah, I quite liked it. We just don't see religion a lot. Like we don't see religious people in these films. They might be around. But even though Bond has gone to some pretty holy places, you just never see any sort of reference to that. It's always kind of blurred. But this one is quite direct. It's irreverent doing like the holy cross sign. It's like you can't get any more directly Christian than that, uh, which is something we've never seen up to this point. Uh, Bond goes to church every Sunday. Oh, of course he does. Of course. To hit on the vicar's daughter, probably. (laughs) That's when he uses all the quips. (laughs) Yeah, she loves them. After a bit of wine. She loves, she loves those grave-related quips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so he the helicopter takes up, and we see a man in a wheelchair with a neck brace. You with me so far? Uh, I am. With a, a white cat on his oh. lap. Some mm, mysterious stranger. Yeah. And... He got. He has a little screen on his wheelchair, and we can see the pilot on that screen. And the man pushes a button, and it zaps the pilot through like his headphones or something, um, which kills him. And the helicopter starts dropping into the the ocean or the river nearby with some very fake sounding effects here, like it's that stereotypical like stock sound of a plane falling, like like that really standard one but it's just a helicopter lowering itself it looks really bad like it just didn't match it's like the world war ii is it a jericho trumpets or whatever they're called or something like made a made a roger roger yeah yeah, it's that it would not be making that noise you're right yeah it's a bit silly but i think it happens again later in the film as well but a helicopter does not you got to trust me on this one helicopters don't make that noise um so over the speaker in the helicopter we hear a voice and the man's like, don't concern yourself, Mr. Bond. And you're now flying remote control. <laughs> <laughs> you're you now flying remote control <laughs> airwaves. <laughs> the helicopter starts flying itself. Um, and we see this mysterious man in the wheelchair with the a little control stick and starts flying it around. And I'm just going to say... It's Blofeld. No, no. It, no. It's snow meld. <laughs> yes, that'll do. <laughs> yes, that'll do. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of things with this one where they they couldn't legally have it be called Blofeld. Uh, I, I think I was reading that The Spy Who Loved Me was actually meant to have Blofeld, but due to the Kevin McCory, I think his name was, um, lawsuit about Fundable Inspector, they took him out. And they wanted to put him back in. So instead of actually just having Blofeld, they just have someone who very much is meant to be Blofeld. They just never call him Blofeld for legal reasons. Yeah, a nicely legally distinct Blofeld. Yeah, just a bald guy with a cat who's evil and has history with Bond. It could be anyone. It could be anyone. They're all over the place, honestly. Yeah, this this is just a regular thing for Bond, all these bald men attacking him. Uh, yeah, so Bond is in the helicopter and Blofeld, I'll just call him Blofeld because 
Like after the fact, it's basically been confirmed. They're just not allowed to 100% say. But it's pretty much confirmed to be Blofeld, even if they don't say. Uh, so Blofeld starts flying him away and they're in this like abandoned factory area. It's this massive kind of factory and there's nothing in there. It looks like it's quite derelict. And Bond climbs out of the helicopter to because he's in the back and the pilot's in the front, but the pilot's dead. So he tries to take control of the helicopter by climbing out and is hanging on the side of this helicopter. Uh, and throughout this whole thing, and it's something I really didn't like about this scene, we just have Blofeld just laughing the whole time. So much laughter. Just constantly laughing. And it's not like he has a good voice. He has a pretty weedy, bad voice. Like, the worst Blofeld voice we've had by far. Like, we are very far removed from the whole deep and menacing keeping his voice hidden sort of thing and it's just like mm. <laughs> it's just oh it's so awful i don't know what they were thinking like because i think the guy in the wheelchair was played by a certain actor who you never properly see and then they cast somebody else to do the voice but whoever they cast to do the voice just did a terrible job yeah i mean let's just let's just be honest here this whole section is terrible it's um it's bizarre actually why they would even think this is good especially when i feel like this is a leftover of it just doesn't match up with what they were going for for the rest of the film where Mm. which is meant to be more down to earth and kind of gritty and and then they must like surely someone looked at this and thought that's a bit stupid but no (laughs) go on with it plow on can we just uh, get that clipped? Because that should just be played during, like, every time we're reviewing a Roger Moore film, we should just play <laughs> that every, like, ten minutes. Surely someone just looked at this and said, this is stupid. Yeah, well, I guess we're coming nearly to the end of Roger Moore. Yeah, we needed it a bit earlier, didn't we? Damn. Yeah. We added it back in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Bond does eventually climb to the front. He throws the pilot out and we get another hilarious scene of uh, someone falling out of a helicopter, but very limply because they're just throwing dummies from distances. <laughs> so he just falls very limply. Gotta um, love him. Yeah, and Bond is in the seat and Blofeld's just still laughing. And eventually the helicopter goes into a building, a big warehouse, where Blofeld can no longer see Bond. Bond starts pulling out the wire and gains control of the helicopter, gets rid of the remote control feature, whatever he's set up there. And at this point, the cat then freaks out. The cat somehow knows something's gone wrong because he's just like hissing and stuff. And a load of funky 80s style music kicks in. And Bond flies back to where the guy is because the Blofeld's in a in a wheelchair on top of one of these roofs. He's not a million miles away. He is watching all this happen. So as this funky music is kicking in, Bond just flies down to the rooftop, hooks the wheelchair into like the side of the helicopter, the the landing gear, uh, metal bit, and picks him up and flies off. And he's all like, Mr. Bond, please, help, no, don't do this. And Bond then just hovers above a chimney is all like, all right, keep your hair on. It's like <laughs> he pats him on the head, pats him on the head, <laughs> on a bald head, <laughs> and then drops him into the chimney. And he's like, ah, Mister Bond, and that's it. 
<sighs> what was that? <laughs> That's my, my favourite part is him just like patting his head. I, I love that. I mean, the, the whole scene is terrible. Don't get me wrong. It's awful. But just the patting the bald head really made it for me. That was <laughs> across the line. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just I I don't dislike the idea of bringing back Blofeld for one last kind of scene like this. I just don't know why they a they only put him in a wheelchair so they could drop him in a chimney, right? Like, there's no other reason why he would be in that wheelchair. Um, I, I guess. Uh, well, yeah, neck injuries and and maybe. Maybe he he hurt his knee in the car as well. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's one of those you shouldn't think about too much because when I see a Blofeld in a neck brace, I think on a Majesty Secret Service. But we yeah. had a film after that, Diamonds Are Forever, where he wasn't in a neck brace. Are you telling me after the oil rig explosion, he got put back into <laughs> the neck brace? He <laughs> just doesn't have great luck, does he, Blofeld? It's like, good thing I kept it in the closet. I <laughs> Good thing I didn't throw it away. It's like, no, Doctor, I'm fine. I, I got this covered. <laughs> yeah, just give me a wheelchair and we'll be fine. And But yeah, I, I'm not opposed to that idea of Blofeld coming back and Bond, you know, going to the grave of Tracy and just having one extra little scene here. But I don't know why they took this very silly approach to it. It feels like it didn't need to be super grounded, but they were trying to do a more grounded, gritty film. I don't know why they then tackled this so differently. It just doesn't work. No. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, especially because of the scene in front of it where Bond is visiting the grave. And then it is just this sudden, just 180 in in tone. And you, you've just seen Bond go visit her grave. And, oh, look, the guy who killed her is is right here now. And it's still just a game. And there's still time for quips. And there's still time to pat him on his bald head. Uh, you're never going to get a Daniel Craig, uh, Timothy Dalton level of revenge here. That's just not going to happen, Roger Moore. But putting those two right next to each other really just, it just loses any sort of emotive weight that 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 first scene had where he's putting the flowers on the grave because then it's, you just see, oh, do you know what? Let's just drop him down a chimney. That'll be fun. That's funny. And, um, And on top of that, the actual if you want to call it the stunts with the, the helicopter, it's just not that good. It's it's a helicopter flying over some factories in London um, and flying through a building at one point, which I think is meant to look impressive, but it, it kind of isn't. I, I don't know. It, I suppose the person hanging out the helicopter, was that, that was done for real and yeah, that, looks, that looks okay. But it's it's really nothing special visually. And I'm not saying that they have to one-up themselves every time. You know, they've done that with The Spy Love Me and then they, they did the Moonraker um, parachute jumps and, and they were both you know, really out there and, and spectacles. So they don't have to try and top that. But we see things later on in this film that are simpler stunts that are more tense, more effective. And this one just misses the mark completely. Yeah, I'm not too sure what to kind of point the finger at. I would like to say it's just because it's John Glenn's first romp. And he just hadn't found his own balance yet. Or during this sequence, he just hadn't figured it out. It's the only thing I can really kind of think of. Yeah. Um, or maybe they were just so determined to put Blofeld in there and humiliate the character in such a way that they didn't really care for the, the film as a whole. Because uh, it does sound like this was a bit of a fingers in the air to, to Kevin and, and all the lawsuit that's going on. Yeah. 
just a bit of pettiness. I think that's probably an aspect of it too. I just don't understand some of the dialogue. I don't understand why he would offer Bond a stainless steel delicatessen. I don't, I don't know. Was that a thing in the 80s? I don't know. <laughs> Any older listeners want to chime in? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't get it. It, it was just... I, I like the idea of bringing this back, although we are four films removed from it, but I like the idea of trying to tie this together a bit and having this, but... Yeah, it it's bad. And also it completely contradicts some of the fe- themes of the film itself, uh, where Bond is talking about revenge later, but he gets revenge here and then just completely contradicts himself later. Like, oh my God, this was like, totally right. This yeah. is the wrong film to put this in front of because it completely like goes against the whole themes of the main film. Yeah, this is actually one of the few films where Bond has a bit of a message to it. And... You're right. They're totally at odds with each other. That's that. That's bad. <laughs> I, d- I didn't put those two together. That is yeah. really bad. Yep, it's bad. So after Bond drops, not Blofeld, down the big chimney, we get into the title sequence, and we get the title song for your eyes only by Sheena Easton, I believe it is. And um, I mean, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to say too much bad against this song because having watched it just a few days ago for the podcast, it's kind of stuck in my head. So it's a catchy little song. I'll say that. It's yet another, um, you know, ballady song that we've had the last two films before, uh, kind of a bit more gentle and a bit, I'd say it's a bit more intense than Moonraker at least, but yeah, it's still the same vibe. And at first, I was very quick to say, "Oh, this sucks," and it's just a bit lame and 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 a bit, I don't know, a bit wishwashy. But actually, it might be growing on me. I don't know. I don't know. I'm what kind of think? with you on this because for me, I would describe this as like my guilty pleasure Bond theme, the one where I'm not going to convince anyone. Oh, it's a top five. It's a banger. It's like one of the best. But as you say, it's a real earworm. And after the last few ones where they haven't really had a big hook, it seems like they've done a 180 on this one and focused it all on the big hook, like all on the catchy line about for your eyes only, only for you. And this song is all about that. And yeah, it just gets in your head. So I think this is such a guilty pleasure one where like, you know, you look at the music and the lyrics and the singing, it's all just all right. It's nothing special, but it does really get in your head if you let it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I definitely, it's definitely got legs, I would say, the song. Uh, in terms of the actual visuals, though, I would say, one thing I, I think I might have said this last time, but I am really noticing with this rewatch that a lot of the title sequences just aren't very good. And this one is better. I feel like it's still getting better, but it's still not amazing. It's just and, all um, the same things, isn't it? It's just it's all the same. Like obviously, the Bond uh, credit sequence have w- women and silhouettes and guns and stuff. Like we all know that. We just kind of assume that they do something different with it each time. But this one, for like no reason, is like water based. Just a load of bubbles. <laughs> it's like we've, already, what? we've already done yeah, this. We have done that, and that's I. I quite like the bubbles. He likes like the bubbles. There we go. You you can't go wrong with water. It seems with the title sequences, because as you say, Thunderball had the water. I think another one had water. I can't remember which one, but 
they seem to be the better ones, or some of the better ones anyway. Water is fine. You know, go with water if that, that's better than nothing. Um, I will say, though, to me, this one did look noticeably more polished, I suppose, in terms of the actual optical effects and, and the silhouettes and things. It's not really a big deal, but it is something when you watch on Blu-ray and the higher quality, you see where the, the matte cutouts is just a bit rubbish and you see maybe where they the silhouette hasn't actually quite worked as a silhouette and there's still some nipples on show and whatever. Um, <laughs> with this one, I actually, uh, to me, it was a marked improvement uh, just in terms of um, uh, like the actual output of the, the visuals. I can see that. I mean, I think this one was treated quite differently where for the very first time, we actually have the woman who performed the song uh, perform the song during these credits. Yeah. Uh, quite a big chunk of it is actually just this woman's face and her singing it. And it does feel like, it does give it a different feel. I do appreciate them doing something different. But yeah, it feels like maybe this was, they almost treated it like a separate music video this time. Yeah. Uh, where it's her singing and they're kind of layering on visuals to kind of complement that and mix that up. So it's a different approach, which I like. Uh, it's just a shame that it's all the same visuals we've seen before. Like, I can't praise it too much because it's just so samey. But I, I find it so interesting because this feel- this feels so 80s. But I think this film only came out in 81, right? Yeah. But already, like, the mu- this song as well has some very 80 kind of synths like, uh, echoey atmospheric kind of sounds and the way this is shot feels like a straight up 80s music video it's interesting just how 80s the 80s got straight away like you normally have a transition period right where it's you know the the early 70s can look like the 60s right mm. and it feels like both this sequence and the music in general and a lot of the this film it's like no they're hitting the ground running this is the 80s <laughs> we only have 10 <laughs> years of this we got to get Welcome. it in, get those Sims going. It's the eighties. Welcome Come to the eighties. Come on, get into it. Yeah. Get your get your spandex on. Oh, we're, we're, oh wait, Roger, no, <laughs> no, no, not you. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I I did write down is I think I remember you saying about the transition. It was it's it the other end of the the sequence, but the transition in Thunderball with the water spraying on to the camera and then that turning into the title sequence. Kind of the opposite here, where I think I had a good transition out with water into the first scene of the, the film. Yes, I don't remember that, but that sounds right. Better than just, um, well, whatever they used to do, just cut or fade or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So yeah, I, it wasn't anything special. I think my the standards have been lowered a little bit, but hopefully this is like a step towards much better versions of these. So high hopes for Octopussy. Well, I was thinking that, as you say, Sheena Easton is actually in this one, but I don't really think they do that again. Uh, well, not for a while, anyway. Can't think of it. But it's because they normally just do a music video with the person who sings the song separately. Yeah. So you don't yeah. need them in this. Strange. I don't know. Very strange. But yeah, so that all wraps up. And we do transition into the ocean, where we see this small fishing boat on the ocean. It's very rusty, and we have a rugged crew on there, and bringing in all these fish in these nets and we see someone who looks a little bit more i don't know naval officer-esque smoking and he puts out his cigarette he goes into the the inside of the ship and i didn't quite understand how these works but there's like these doors and he like steps into them and then they like spin 
yeah. Right? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't it's get like, what It's like happens. a bookshelf. It's like when, you know, you, you tip the book and then it, and it spins around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a book tipping uh, set of doors. Uh, so yeah so he goes in and he spins it around and when he comes out he's in a very high-tech control room so clearly this fishing ship and this rust and being old is just a guys and actually it's hiding this very high-tech setup and a lot of different naval officers there and somebody i can't be confused by all this to be honest so we kind of see this operation where an officer gives somebody like some russian satellite data so clearly they're they're there to track data and movement and, and things like that. It's a British ship. And the guy who was smoking comes up to somebody else who's at a desk and he has cuffed himself to this desk. So the man who's already there uncuffs himself. And then the man who was smoking sits down and cuffs himself to the desk and is handed some paper. And he turns on this, oh, I can't remember what they call it, this transmitter, I think is what they call it. It's uh, the A-Tact, I think is its proper name. Uh, we find out and starts using it um, but at the same time as he starts using it uh, we hear an alarm goes off and somebody is saying like there's an unidentified object coming in fast and we cut to the top of the ship where we see the fishermen have like caught a mine in their nets which yeah. i thought was like an attack i Me took too. i took this as like the russians or someone have found this ship they know it's important so I've attacked with a mine. But then I was reading afterwards that the whole point is that it was just an accident. <laughs> that the fisherman just accidentally caught a mine because they catch the mine and then it hits the ship and it blows up. <laughs> yeah, just a nice bit of incompetence there. That's all. You had one job and it wasn't even to fish. <laughs> like, you cared how many fish you caught, just don't catch any mines. <laughs> just, oh, but it's really silly because yeah, I took it as an attack it seems absurd that it wasn't an attack but no it's just dumb dumb on the fishing ship caught a mine and it blew up the ship and it kills everyone on the ship oh violently yeah so yeah so it blows up and everything starts flooding and we hear a lot of screaming like everyone on this ship is just screaming as it starts blowing up and everything starts flooding and then somebody gets like electrocuted to death because there's water and it like gets sapped by some sort of electronic device and that electrocutes him and again a lot of screaming um, but there's a self-destruct lever there so the man who's chained to the desk or handcuffed to the desk he goes to reach it and as he's reaching for it we cut away we cut to uh, the ministry of defense who is hearing a report about how the St. George, uh, the name of the ship, has been sunk. Uh, I feel like with this section here, that it's not bad or anything, but it does make me think about the amount of times we see like a ship sink in a Star of a Bond film. Like, I don't know if we need to start keeping a tally, because this just made me think of like Tomorrow Never Dies, which opens in a very similar way. Yeah. Yeah. i got to say... I I really liked this little scene, um, mainly because, this is going to sound quite morbid, but as you say, there was a lot of screaming and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't movie screams. It was, it sounded like blood curdling, actual people dying screams. It sounded horrific, like men screaming for their lives and it really works. It it really makes the scene. I just think it's really well shot. This flooding of the ship, 
as you say, people getting trapped against things, people getting electrocuted, getting washed away by the current. I easily think this could have been the pre-title sequence. I mean, it's not that far from what we've seen in other ones, which you could argue maybe that's why they didn't do it. But to me, this is a much more dramatic, much better shot uh, opening to the film. I can agree with that, yeah. If the end of the film... Because then the water stuff would make sense, right? <laughs> like, maybe yeah. they did intend it to be the opening sequence, but then at, towards the end, they thought, actually, we want to do some funny Blofeld thing. Maybe that's why the opening sequence is water, because it ties into the theme of these men being sunk and surrounded by water. Yeah, possibly. It would make way more sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it's fine. Like, I'm, You're right about those screams, though. I put death screams in yeah. my notes that they're, they're really like a lot of different ones just like yeah like yeah it's horrible actually um when it gets to as you say it cuts to mi6 and there's no m m's gone m's out of this film kind of for sad reasons that the actor actually did pass away uh very early in production so they just i think they, they say later on but i mean they write m out of the film and say he's on leave uh so instead it's is it frederick gray in this scene or is it the other weird guy it's, it's frederick gray in this scene because they're in okay. the minister's office they're not in like m's office oh okay so it's not MS. right i see so it's more like the government um mm. location right okay yeah because then it also after that cuts or after that scene's finished where they say oh sir we've lost the atac um there's like a, such a, a cheesy i mean you say about 80s there's such a cheesy line where it's like how deep is it not deep enough <laughs> this guy <laughs> dun, dramatic dun, zoom. Dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it needed that sound effect there uh it also cuts to good old general gogol it's gogol. He's back you love this guy don't you i can just tell yeah <laughs> In the same office, it has not changed since The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, which I kind of like that they keep that consistent. It's like, uh, you know, M's got his office, which never changes, and so is this guy. Uh, he's on the phone talking to, I guess, another um, Russian person, uh, being informed that the St. George ship has sunk and that there's some sort of device on there and basically along the lines of hey we, you know we really want this because that's going to be really useful for us but we don't want to get our hands dirty so if it just so happens to fall in our possession great uh but we're not going to get directly involved so it's another you know we had we had uh teaming up with the russians and the spy who loved me that's gone no more of that sorry anya um back to being enemies again i do like it though because this isn't so direct like we actually don't see these characters that much it's just they're there in the background just tilting things in their favor and it adds a really cool element to the film to be honest of it's cold war isn't it right it's not two sides sighting it's two sides kind of manipulating each other and trying to get the upper hand without directly ever being like let's go and shoot up a british agent which i kind of like i was a little bit confused because i think he says we'll contact our friend in the east which I think he means East Germany, based on how this film goes. But initially, I was kind of thinking, like, is he going to call someone from Japan to help? But I think he meant East Germany. Oh, did he say? Did he say East? I wrote it down as East. That's why I heard. I, 
I heard it as Greece. Oh, Greece. That would but also then, make more sense. <laughs> but no, I thought I think yours makes more sense. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, because the East Germans are KGB agent. Spoilers. Yeah, and then it doesn't. But then he is doing the the Greece guy. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. You can watch with subtitles, don't you? Right. You, you I, I seen didn't it. have it on. I didn't have it on for this because they're too big. Damn it, Joe. Oh, the one time I needed it. The one time. <laughs> oh well, they both work. Both ways work. <laughs> friend in the east of greece (laughs) so yeah the 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 russians are are in on it um in some shape or form and it then cuts to then it cuts to greece right that is greece yeah right so maybe he did say Greece. i don't know it doesn't matter uh it cuts to greece and we see a, a, a seaplane landing in this lovely ocean area port harbour area uh there's a lady in there being uh being flown um who is turns out it's going to be the bond girl and she she lands i think meanwhile we're seeing a couple people on a ship an older man on a ship with a parrot uh who course, is actually yeah. quite, quite an important part of this film <laughs> you may just think oh that's a fun parrot that's, that's a nice little that's a nice little gag but no this parrot is vital for potentially saving the world <laughs> later on so um yeah there's a guy with a parrot uh the lady lands in her boat uh, in, in sorry in the seaplane and and goes to um goes onto the ship and it's uh it's her mother and father she's there with gifts saying hello um now i've got to be honest they do say some stuff in the scene and i missed it so there's some st- there's just like some general pleasantries, but I can't remember what she actually says to her parents here. It, yeah, it's those pleasantries, isn't it? She's just like, oh, I'm between jobs and here are some gifts. It's just them kind of catching up. It's, I didn't really get anything. Like, I was so confused by these characters because the man is referenced a lot later in the film. And that's when things started to make sense to me. But at the moment, it's just like these are just two people just who are family just catching up. That's about yeah. It. Yeah. Okay. Good. I didn't miss too much. Um, so she gives him a gift, uh, gifts, and um, she wanders off somewhere else, a bit further away from him. And meanwhile, the the guy who flew her in on the plane, he he flew off, but he's looped back around, and the plane has a gun. Oh no! And so he does a bit of a swoop flyby of the of the ship, um, and shoots. Shoots the mother and father, just out of just out of sight. Well, just out of reach of the woman, and uh, yeah, they're dead. And um, you get you get this shot of her obviously going up to her parents and looking not as shocked as I think you would be in that situation. But anyway, and then you get uh, you get her looking up directly at the camera uh, and zooming in to her very vivid eyes. And I feel like this actress was chosen purely because of her eyes. <laughs> and you know the film's title because it's a very intense shot and they clearly linger on it a lot to be like yeah look 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 at this actress look at her eyes they're so big and colorful Um, (laughs) i'm not sure colorful is what they're going for but uh, they're very red (laughs) like she's kind of have a mixed emotions going on right where she's angry but also very upset so it's like she's been crying but now she's all mad about it she's gonna get you Um, yeah I, I, didn't, I didn't really yeah. like it to be honest i just thought it was a bit dumb like 
it's, it's and it's because I just don't know who this woman is. Like she's just someone who just come onto a boat and has a parrot. I think that's the most notable thing about this these people that they have a parrot just to see them be shot down and now we're supposed to like care that she's all like mad. It's like I don't I don't know who you are. <laughs> I yeah, I I would admit that the order of this is a bit strange where it was only in the scene after this that you you kind of connect the dots and you go, oh, okay, that's yeah, that's who that was, and that's. But I do, I do still like it though. Maybe it's just because of the parrot. But <laughs> no, I do, I do like how it is setting up for that character's motivation for the entire film, and that they do. I mean, I'm just going to say it right now, I I really like this Bond girl um, and this actress that ends up being the Bond girl. Uh, which I know is definitely a bit of contention. I see. I read a lot of stuff that people did not like her, but I think in terms of Bond girls having any sort of depth and uh, emotion and, and actually being able to do things in these films, this is by far one of the better ones. Hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll get into it a bit bit later. I do want to just say it is Greece that they said. Not it is Greece. Yeah, okay. I found the script, <laughs> like oh, wow. a photo, like a scanning of the the proper script, and it says Greece. So you were right. So I guess that was the the guy in the plane then. Yes, although Correct. it's a little bit of a, no. The guy in the plane's the Cuban. Yeah. Who no? was hired by the man from Greece? Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. Kind of. It's. Hmm. I feel like I followed this film okay. But because it's supposed to be more of a throwback and Cold War and who's everyone working with everyone with their own agendas, it's, uh, yeah, easy to get a bit lost. Yeah. So after the... Do we hear a name during this scene? Is it Melina I think, or something? Yeah, I think it's Melina. Yeah, Melina. So after Melina stares at the camera, uh, we cut to Money Penny. Uh, but this time she's not sitting down at the desk. It's just her alone in that room. Uh, and she enters it and she takes a look at the time and quickly goes to a drawer nearby and opens it up in this cabinet. And we see a, a giant, like, secret makeup kit and mirror. <laughs> it's really big. I don't think it needed to be that big. But, uh, yeah, she starts, after seeing the time, she starts putting on some makeup and some lipstick, I believe. And we then see the mirror and... Behind her, in the mirror, we see a hat land on the hat rack. Ooh. Uh, and Marnie Penny sees it as well. She stops and turns around, and there's Bond. And There he is. Bond is like, ah, Money Penny, a, a feast for my eyes. Uh, and we get a very brief moment between the two. Not really much. It's more just standard banter between these two. And, uh, and then Bond kind of... Well, Bond has a flower. I don't know why. Um, and gives that flower to to Money Penny. Uh, so I love the hat thing; that was awesome. Uh, it's such a nice whip that it has to it because it doesn't just neatly land on the hat rack; it like spins a little bit, and it's so like quick. It's like oh, that was a wonderful shot from whoever actually threw it. Oh, that that was Roger, I'm sure. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I love that. It's. You know, there are some real efforts here to try and go back to those older Bond films, and I feel like that's one of them, because I don't think they ever 100% abandoned the hat thing, but we definitely had some films where it just wasn't in there at all. 
Uh, but I don't think they ever said like, oh no, we're just not going to do that anymore. They just didn't come up with anything. So this is them trying very hard to have Bond enter the office and we're going to have him throw his hat, but we're going to have a, a little bit of a different spin on it. So um, there's a few cases in this film where it's, they're trying to go back to that and this one's quite direct and I really liked it. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, I like this whole little money penny Bond scene. It did feel a bit more retro. I, I said before that I... I I wasn't really loving the the chemistry between Roger Moore and, and Lois Maxwell, and I, it, it was better in my head than actually watching it. But this is a bit closer to what I remembered it being like. As you say, it's not a huge scene by any means. I do like the idea that that Money Penny gets her own gadgets. Like you have to assume that Q made this little <laughs> yeah. this little makeup gadget for her to go in her office. And I mean, I don't. <laughs> they put like an electric sound over it when it flips out but i don't really think there's any electronics needed for for it it's just it's just like a, a mirror like latching out uh but just like nope put put on a, a sound effect and it makes it into a gadget you just need a buzz or a beep and there you go yeah it's um, very exaggerated because it's, it's like she w- would just probably have some makeup near her desk uh but instead they yeah as you say turn it into a gadget so it's this like like big (laughs) but it's giant as well there's just no need for it to be that big listen money penny takes her makeup very seriously oh i can see see every every aspect of her face every pore for bond well yeah if it's for roger that makes sense yeah Uh, so bond goes through to m's office but instead of m we see the chief of staff uh, bill tanner who I was reading, this is technically his second appearance because he was supposed to be in The Man with the Golden Gun, but he wasn't really like a character at that point. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't tell you who he was or anything, but I was kind of like, oh, this is the first time we see Bill Tanner. That's cool. But then I looked it up and like, no, technically he was in Man with the Golden Gun. He just didn't do anything. Uh, But this time he's at M's desk sitting behind the desk and the Ministry of Defense is there. And they ask Bond about the ATAC, which he does his usual routine of just explains exactly what it is. But I really couldn't pay attention to anything he was saying. Like, I don't I don't know what he was saying. Like, he rabbited on. But this is one of the times where I just was like, my brain just switched off. Because it's like, it's the gizmo. It's the thingy majig. It's the, the high tech thing. And they do sum it up quite nicely, to be fair. But I can't remember who says it. It might be the Ministry of Defense who says like, if we lose this transmitter, we lose the ATAC, uh, ATAC or whatever it is. Um, our own subs could be ordered to attack our own cities, which is the very nice summary of like, okay, that's very bad. Someone could just take over subs and attack whoever they want. So that's why it's important. Uh, the details aren't too uh, important. It's it's pretty much the um, the lector. It's it's just another MacGuffin like that, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it functions in the exact same way. It's the thing they care about because this could cause a lot of destruction if it got into the wrong hands. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know why I went to Lectoy. I could have easily said Solex, that was another one. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them, really. Yeah, uh, so they they say how they sent someone to go and look for the wreck because they know the St. George is sunk, so everyone is desperately trying to get it back. So they sent someone... And I got a little bit confused again here because so they're referring to the dad that we saw in the last scene. They sent him to go recover it. And then they said that he was killed by a, a Cuban man who I don't know who this guy's name is. 
Gonzalez. <laughs> Hector Gonzalez. I wrote that down because I thought that was, I knew that was going to come up again. So I'm going to write that down. Yeah, very smart. Uh, so they said he was killed by Hector Gonzalez, a Cuban hitman. And then they talk like they talk about Operation Undertow is the name of this operation where they need to recover this ship and, and get it all back ASAP. Uh, so Bond is then given a brief which says, for your eyes only on it. And then that's the scene. And this chief of staff is just terrible. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> He's so instantly unlikable. Like, right off the bat. So I don't know what they were trying to do with this character. I think they were trying to have that same kind of condescending, or not condescending, but like talking down and berating Bond that M used to do. But they never balance it with the other side where M actually always had his back and they actually had quite a good relationship. It's just M was quite stern with Bond and wasn't afraid to speak their mind. But there was always like a mutual respect. This guy comes across as such like a nerd and just a like, oh, like there's no balance with it. He's just always is just kind of rude and horrible to Bond. And he has this very like high pitched, horrible voice as well. It's I grow to like Bill Tanner in the later films, but this guy's awful. I'd like I'm glad they didn't say, Oh, this is M, because if it was, I'd be so upset. Like at least they separated the character because I really didn't like him at all. He's definitely a character. His <laughs> yeah. voice reminded me a bit of uh the the Blofeld from Diamonds Are Forever. Um similar similar vibe. It's like quite a quite a I don't want to say over the top, but just very noticeable accent and, and demeanor. And I, I gotta be honest, I completely missed, was he introduced as Tanner? I completely missed that it. it was even Tanner. I think um, he was, but this scene goes quite, there's a lot of info in this scene. Um, he, yeah. I mostly got it as chief of staff because I think that's how oh. Bond refers to him. Okay. Yeah. And he's connect the dots. I see. I, I think for me, I don't, I didn't find him too. I didn't find him too bad. Definitely not likable, as you say. But the problem is, is that if they're going to go down that route of, you know, oh, oh, do listen here, Bond and all that sort of thing, a bit Q-esque, right? If they're going to do that, it's quite a simple thing. But I feel like M needs to be older. You, you need to have M be the older man in that in that position to tell off Bond. It doesn't work when the guy was definitely younger than Roger Moore. <laughs> there's, there's no question. Um, it just, it looks like a little, it reminds me a bit of, the the guy from uh spectre jumping very far ahead the oh see yeah the sherlock guy and it's just it just looks it's dweeby you know what i mean it just doesn't have that doesn't have that um kind of authoritative uh, position right exactly exactly there's no authority there thankfully he's not in the film very much good but but uh, yeah it's fine i'm as you say i'm glad they didn't make him the permanent m because that would have been awful they Oof. should have had a scene right at the end where he gets dropped into a chimney <laughs> on a wheelchair. That would have saved it for me. Or maybe Melina comes out and just crossbows him really quickly at the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, it's like, I think they approached it the right way. Don't recast M for this film. Uh, and it probably was more necessity that they couldn't do it due to just the timing of Bernard Lee's death. But I think it was very smart to say, hey, we've already got this established character, the Ministry of Defense. We'll just, you know, team him up with an extra character and do it like that. But 
when they tried to have this guy be the guy, it should have just been the Ministry of the Minister of Defense. Like the, we know who he is. We know he gets a bit frustrated with Bond. They already have some sort of slight relationship. It, he should have been the one leading this. And you definitely don't put bloody Bill Tanner in M's chair. Like, no, no. Like, these should have just all happened separately. But if they happened in the other office, then we wouldn't have the money penny stuff. And then they're also trying to call back to the older Bond films that focus more on this whole, you know, basic briefing scene that we usually get. So they were a little bit stuck here, but... Yeah, I think having, like, I respect that they didn't recast M for this, but this was not the way to do it. Get this guy out of here. I don't want to see him again. And I don't think we do. I hope we don't. As in, in later films? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I feel like I would have remembered him, and I definitely do not. So, yeah, good. Oh, no, maybe not good riddance, but... No, just, good just... riddance. I'll say it. <laughs> if you don't want to say it, I'll say it. Good riddance. Awful. Good riddance. Awful. <laughs> yeah, like how dare how dare you sit where he once sat? You don't get out there. Get out yeah. of his seat. It's not even cold. Anyway. Uh oh, probably wouldn't have been actually. Um it ends that br- briefing scene ends with going to Madrid. Because that's where they think Hector Gonzalez is in in a in his villa in Madrid. So that's where Bond is sent to try and interrogate and get some information from him about who hired him because he's linked in with this whole situation with the the ATAC. It then cuts to Bond in... Has he got the Lotus right right away? Yeah, he's got the white Lotus. Oh, right, because the red one's the one they try on. Yes. Uh, so he's driving around in Madrid. <laughs> At one point, it looks like he's lost. I don't know if that's me just misreading the scene, but it looked like he was... He just looked completely lost. And I quite like the idea of Bond just getting lost, trying to find somewhere. <laughs> so I was around here somewhere, this bloody map. Um, anyway, he uh, he drives up and he finds um, he finds Hector's villa. Uh, there's cameras and things outside. And um, I think he parks a little bit far, like further away and, and goes on foot to try and sneak around um, over the back wall and, and stuff like that and get another way another way in. We also see a creepy-looking man. This is before I knew his name, so he w- he was just creepy man for mm. a long time. Creepy man enter the the villa with a couple other guards. Uh, so yeah, Bond is sort of in the foresty bits outside the wall and gets in somehow. I can't really quite remember, but um, he's there, kind of watching out for the guards. And I think there's a really really luckily timed a guard having a, a quick schmoots and uh, like perfect timing for bond to to get past him and god my memory has just gone for this scene now you might have to take over there's not that much to it really so there's this big pool party happening at this big estate um that the guy the cuban uh, man earned so yeah bond is sneaking past all these guards because they have guns and i think that's how bond gets into it because you hear this really loud like pop music playing then all these women not wearing much jumping into the pool. Uh, something I noticed about this scene is that he looks such, like such an old man. <laughs> the outfit, yeah, all of the a lot of the outfits for Bond in this film are not very flattering. Like they're age appropriate, but they like, gone well, are the days yeah. where he was like in Live and Let Die, where they try to have him look very smart, and instead he looks like I don't think he's wearing a cardigan. But it does look like a cardigan. Though. Yeah, like it's a very loose fitting buttoned. <laughs> like overlayer that he's wearing it's like, and it's like a 
Is it like greenish? It's like very beigey, <laughs> greenish brown sort of colors. He's like wearing these beige. It's like, yeah. And the fact that he's going to this pool party with all these like young people as well, and people who are quite young, it just looks like a lost old man in the woods just hanging out, just stumbling <laughs> upon it. Not very flattering. Where am I? Uh, yeah, you're right. There's a pool party going on, and you do see, you see Hector there uh, in his little in his little tiny shorts far too small come on now um and the the creepy man come and and drop off some money for him so getting paid we're assuming for the hit job um that is just done so bond is in the bond is in there somehow and there's like another rustling behind him so someone else is there as well and we don't see him yet so it's just sort of a an idea of it and again, you have to remind me how Bond actually gets caught because I've completely forgot. I think it is just what you said. Like, so there's some stick breaking, which a load of birds then go off, and the guards just be like, "Oh, there's someone over there," and they just jump on Bond and grab his gun and then pull him over. Oh, oh, okay. Some, for some reason, I thought it was a bit more. There's a bit more to it than that. But there I might be. Not. That's all I've got in my notes, which I think shows how kind of. Yeah, this is not the important part of the scene. It's just he gets True. captured because they hear about him or they can hear something over there. True, yeah. So, yeah, he does get captured and, and taken um, in front of Hector, who's there and just kind of gloats a bit and says, take him away, deal with deal with this man and goes back to his, go back to his pool party um, on the diving board of the swimming pool. And just as Bond is getting walked away... Uh, Hector goes for a a dive and the timing of it is such that as he's jumping into the pool he gets crossbowed he gets shot by a crossbow um, although you don't actually see that straight away you just see his body eventually start floating in the pool and um, everyone's starting to notice and start screaming and all the women are there and running off and you know a general bit of chaos ensues where there's a dead body floating in the pool which gives Bond the chance to uh get away from the guards, escape, and um, and run off. And I do like how in this scene, the creepy man is still there. He's, you know, he's paid Hector, but he's sat down under a parasol. And he's just there, and he's just watching the whole thing, and just like, taking it all in, you know, not really reacting to the, the scene. And uh, it definitely makes him quite memorable off the bat because of just the sheer non-reaction you have from him. Yeah, it's almost very... Uh, reminds me a bit of Mr. White... Uh, from Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, where he is clearly connected to something else, and Hector is the the fun loving, like kind of more emotion, like oh, I'm having a party, I'm rich, ha ha ha. Where this guy's kind of feels like he's part of something bigger, uh, and you get that sense with this bit where he's just observing, but doesn't really care because it's none of his business. He's got other things to sort out. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I must say as well, once this all kicks off and and Bond starts to escape, and you know the the actual action scene begins you get the music kicks in and as we've sort of already touched on, there is some proper 80s music in this film and you do hear it straight off the bat with this. Like it's proper, um, like there's synths in this and it's it's very, I don't want to say, I don't think the music is bad by any means. Uh, It's different and it's, yeah, it's it's more modern and it is a little bit grating at times, (laughs) but... I also do kind of like it. Well, that's nice. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I hate the music <laughs> in this film. 
Do you? I don't think I can think of any music I liked. And I think grating, I know you you were kind of hinting at like, well, I think people might find this grating, but I don't find it grating. I found it really grating. It's so in your face. And it's, as you say, it's very 80s. And I guess normally I might quite like that, but I just don't think it fit at all. And it's so in your face that to me, it was just like, this is a bad fit. And I, I just really didn't like the music. Um, I, I think I'm just going to say this is the worst soundtrack out of all these <gasps> films. For me, if, if oh, we were okay. ranking soundtracks, this would be dead last because I just found it so irritating throughout. And I can't really think of anywhere I did like it. Uh, like, it's such a different style. I don't mind the style change. It's just, I just think this guy did a bad job, which is weird because he's such an accomplished composer. Like, this is a safe pair of hands for your franchise, but no no thank you i didn't like any of it get rid get rid oh i didn't mind it i didn't mind it i did like how you do have this this really actiony 80s tune and then you you do get the bond notes in there still every now and then i just something not really heard yet in this in this rewatch so yeah i didn't mind it anyway um bond does escape from the guards and kind of bumps into the person who shot the crossbow and killed Hector. And what do you know? It's the lady from the boat. It's Melina. She's there for revenge. And you know, not really much time to do, like, to talk here, but um, they they very quickly try and escape together. Because there's no time for introductions. Because actually that's, that's a point later on when they actually do introduce each other. So um, they go back down into the forest to try and escape. Obviously, you're now getting all the guards after them as well. You do see one of the guards try to get into Bond's car. So the idea is, obviously, you're thinking, right, they're going to go back to Bond's car. They're going to have a car chase with the Lotus. And I guess a bit of subversion here where one of the henchmen um, tries to fiddle with the Lotus and there's a very clear anti-burglar sticker right in view. And... All he does is really, it's like he barely touches the thing and it explodes. The whole thing explodes. And I guess that is a, a you know, protection, but only only to an extent in that it wasn't burgled, but it is now destroyed because um, the car is gone. The car's wrecked. Um, but it is like, it is that idea of them going back to basics and there's not going to be any scene with, uh, Bond and his car which has missiles and mud in the back and bulletproof glass and all that sort of stuff and it's a very much an obvious statement that yeah this is going to be Bond going back to using you know his own methods and his own means and not relying on gadgetry like that so I, I did like that actually I didn't <laughs> you because, didn't because I don't get it because the like he's done that for a ton of films and it, like Goldfinger had a ton of it and it's like universally praised so i guess this film is meant to be more referencing from russia with love and i feel like that was the biggest influence for this film but i don't think you needed such like a middle finger to the people who liked the gadgets and the cars i think you could have just done it in another way or you didn't have to have it just explode because like that scene in itself is more silly modern Bond, like ha ha ha, man go boom, try to use Bond things. Like that's something that would happen in the Roger Moore era and would never happen in the Sean Connery era that they're trying to reference. So 
I just feel like it contradicts itself a bit. Like, you just didn't need to do it. Just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't mind them saying, okay, we're going to strip down the carpet. I just think it just doesn't make sense how they did it. Yeah, I suppose they needed to get rid of the car to then use the Citroen, but... But he didn't even have this car in the last film. This is from The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker. He he didn't have this car. I don't get it. Why would they tie to it, like, use this specific car? And he gets another car anyway, which is just the same one but red. I just don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, but he doesn't really have any gadgets, though. Sure, and that's maybe the way to do it. Like, maybe they could have still destroyed this car. I think the fact that they tried to make it a comedy scene is probably what bugs me the most. Like, Bond could have totally destroyed his car. Like, that totally makes sense. But you didn't need, a like, a funny movement because, like, you're referencing an era where that wouldn't have done that. I have to assume the reason why it is a Lotus is because of some sponsorship thing. I would oh, well, guess. as in, like, the second... Like, they're like, right, don't worry, guys, we'll get your Lotus in there. It might blow up in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get another one, it's fine. We'll get, yeah, we'll paint it red, we'll put it back in, <laughs> don't worry about it, it's fine. You'll get your advertising, don't worry. Um, so they're without they're without Bond's, Bond's car, so they have to use Molina's instead. And yeah, the joke is it's not some glitzy fancy car; it's a humble Citroen. I can't even think of the it's, what is the model? Uh, yellow, yellow model. You see yellow? <laughs> oh, I feel like it's on the tip of my tongue. I always hear it. Citroen two CV, Citroen two CV. That's what it is. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a petrol head, but that's the only reason I know it because of Bond, um, which is. Yeah, it's like this little ugly, actually it's not that ugly, but it's a yellow car, um, this little thing, tiny little thing and like chugging along and they both get in and she's driving and then it turns into a car chase through the olive grove. Is that what they're called? Olive groves? Was it olives? (laughs) It was like apples, I thought. Oh, was it apples? It It might be olives. I got the grease thing wrong, so I don't know, but I'm sure it was like apples trees because i i don't think because they were like picking something red which i assumed to be apples okay maybe it was yeah, both though because it does go across quite a large area right maybe yeah so you get this this um you get this car chase through yeah a, a little town and and the hilltops of this this um well madrid i guess we're still in and you very briefly get a bit of conversation between the two and you find out that yeah Molina hired a private detective agency to try and find Hector for her because she is obsessed with revenge um although this is not enough revenge for her yet clearly and I can't really remember the exact steps of this car chase I know at one point they they literally flip the car and um they all get out and they get this lovely moment where the whole town helps them flip the car back and give them a push start and and that's when Bond starts driving instead um it's not really a very intricate car chase, uh, but I will say I think it was very well done for what it was. I think in terms of having little bits and little, little set pieces within a, a one car chase, this did a good job of keeping it going and you're having the bit with the uh, the town and then having the the guys uh, going, you know, going down the hill and flipping off and... There's a couple gags in there with landing on a tree and all this, but it's 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 nice. I do like that you do get this this imagery of I can't I don't know what the other two cars like the the bad guys cars are, but you get those two more modern cars and then this little 
chugging Citroen, bouncing along, and by the end of it, it's just completely wrecked and battered, and um, yeah, it's good. I'm not against these sort of chases uh, where it's, you know, they're driving a rubbish car where they're still making it work. Like, I quite liked the bus chase in Live and Let Die. I thought that was quite good. But I like the visual of that and how it played out. Uh, This, I, I just never really got into it. I just never thought it was that interesting what was happening. I think some of it might be the setting, the the Spanish setting, especially because it's just so like stereotypical as well. Like as we entered Spain earlier in the film, we got like very stereotypical, over the top Spanish music, which I hated because it's like it's just too much. Um, and now we get this again where it's all very stereotypical, like all the people just shouting Spanish as they're trying to push this car, and people picking apples as they drive past. And be like, hey, it's like. It's like uh, and I don't mind a little bit of that, you know, the Italian man from Moonraker did make me laugh, as a, a, but that was a very, like, quick gag. And this one is, I don't know, I, I didn't hate it, but I really just didn't like it that much. It just didn't do anything for me. But it should be something that's quite cool, because they found quite an interesting set piece here, where they're, first they go through the village, and then when they come out, they're going around, like, the apple trees, but it's like a curvy road that's going downwards, like, on a hill. Um, so yeah. you get this nice progression of them kind of going around and it allows for Bond to, to jump over it as well. It's just, just didn't do anything for me. And I couldn't really tell you why. Maybe it's because I hated the music. Uh, maybe it's because I just wasn't really into the visual of this car. Maybe it was the setting and how over the top they went with the Spanish stuff. It's probably all three of those, really. I think I've just summed it up quite nicely. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> maybe it's because Roger Moore looks like an old man <laughs> in his cardi. Uh, but this just did absolutely nothing for me i i found this to be a a really weak star not the worst chase it's just yeah just nothing that really worked that i thought was cool oh yeah for me the music as i've said i I didn't mind the music i think the music brought this to life which otherwise it could have been i mean we've we've had far too many chase scenes with no music so to even have something i'm happy with but i think this one was extra punchy and and definitely amped up what yeah, you know, I mean, it it could have been, it definitely could have been without that, without the the eighties music playing in the background, it would have maybe been a bit lamer, but that really did help. And yeah, Roger does look old, but at least you get a good once the scene is over, and they 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 dealt with the bad guys, you do get them to like a, a bit of a pause and a bit of a time to breathe, and then you do get. Bond actually introducing himself and saying, my name is Bond, James Bond. And it's just like a nice little bookend to the to the chase. Yeah, I agree. I like that bit. I, I think the fact that I didn't like the chase before, like I don't like any of this sequence, to be honest. Um, even the bit before where Bond is fighting, it all comes across as a bit lame to me. Um, but you're completely right. It is very energetic. Uh, this is very high energy. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of different shots. It's kind of yeah, it moves very quickly. It's never drag. It's never boring. It gets the gags in. It. I, I guess I should like it. I, I, just, I probably should have put in my notes more about what I hated about it. Most of the time, I'm just complaining about the music, to be honest. Mm. But it, it, you know, it just didn't do anything for me. But like you said, very energetic. It's a cool little kind of set piece here. It's just one that fell flat for me. Would it have helped if Bond was in a black turtleneck? Well, that would always help. Okay, I think. <laughs> any scene will be improved with that yeah <laughs> or maybe a robe i know that you like the robes oh we get some good robes in this film 
We do actually. Yeah. I wrote them down. <laughs> and of I course you did as well. <laughs> he has a very good ropes. I'm glad they're going back to basics with this one, getting the ropes back. <laughs> back to basics from yeah, four films ago. Yep. Yeah. Back to Roger's roots. So yeah, yeah, after the whole my name is Bond, James Bond, we cut to them in a hotel room together and Bond says, Ah, oh, we've got a flight at eleven and it's at night now, but he's saying like, Oh, it should be safe to go to the airport. Uh, and then Bond seems to generally kind of say, like, are you okay? Like, you all right? Yeah. Um, which she says, like, yeah, I'm fine. But she says she doesn't know who paid, paid Hector. So she wants to track down whoever paid Hector and kill them as well. Of which Bond says, oh, the Chinese have a saying. If you seek revenge, be prepared to dig two graves. Of which she says, Greek women, <laughs> like a lecture, always get revenge. So, all right, I didn't quite understand that but but this is what i was referencing from the start uh where the whole idea is that she throughout this film is very much i want revenge i want to get revenge on my the the killer of my parents who ever paid them and bond is supposed to be the calm person saying that but he totally got revenge on blofeld so i don't know yeah twice i suppose actually if you <laughs> if you do include diamonds are forever there's some revenge there at the beginning yeah, it's very like there's this theme of revenge. I don't really think they do a good job with it, uh, but it seems like a very like well, we'll do a revenge thing with Blofeld, and now Bond is dealing with someone about revenge. It would make sense if Bond, you know, went to go and get revenge, and somebody else died because of it, and now he's like that more humble, older Bond trying to advise someone. I like that. That sounds like that would be really cool, but it just sounds so like disingenuous coming from Bond. Um, although I do think they actually do a good job over in this film of having, you know, aged the character of Bond a bit in this film and kind of acknowledge it a little bit and not oh, yeah. have him be like how he was. Uh, so I like this idea, which I think is supposed to be tying into that. The idea that Bond is a bit more of a veteran at this point, so he's uh, more able to kind of advise people and step into that role. So I do like that idea. I just uh, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. I really like that idea. And I, yeah, as I say, I do like that they do have this extra element for Melina, the Bond girl. And yeah, that they do tie Bond in. You're right, though. It doesn't really make much sense concerning the, considering the pre-title sequence. Maybe there was a... I do like your idea about what if someone else had died. Because what we were saying about that in the past couple Bond films where there's just this trail of bodies that Bond leaves in his wake, innocent people dying. Maybe there was a little chimney sweeper in that big <laughs> chimney oh, who got crushed what if the whistling midget from on a magic service <laughs> oh, no. got landed on by the wheelchair and he was one day from retirement <laughs> you just hear him whistling and then it just cuts out and bond's like what have i done <laughs> cue for your eyes only theme it's a really ominous echo of the whistle and as, as it dies <laughs> out <laughs> Oh, no. may he rest in peace. Yeah, I, I will say this scene with him and um, Malia in, in the hotel, just the fact, just Bond saying, are you all right, kind of threw me a bit. It's so, well, saying are you all right in that tone as well, like legitimately asking about someone who he doesn't really know um, and, you know, not trying to sleep with them straight away. He's actually saying, are you okay? And I was a bit taken aback i said wow 
there's a, there's a bit more to bond here. We're, we're not just getting creepy quips and 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 nastiness here. Uh, I mean, I don't really, I don't really get the whole Greek woman Electra thing, but it's fine. Um, I just like that they're trying to do more with the characters here. Yeah, I do like that. The idea of Bond, the vet, pairing up with someone who's younger, I think that's a really good idea. And I think Roger, for the most part, actually pulls it off quite well. Um, yeah. Not that he's super old or anything, because I don't really think about it too much in this film. Like Moonraker, I remember being like, oh, he's looking a little bit old. This one, apart from his dress sense, I think he looks kind of fine, and they do a good balance of it. But this is a very smart way of doing Bond, especially like... Uh, there was so much potential with the grave at the beginning because having that grave kind of builds in that history which sells you this idea of this bond being older and with having this history and kind of knowing better like it's such a good idea um, but you can tell that john glenn this is how he kind of saw bond um, and some of this revenge stuff is something that is very much going to come back later in john glenn's era so this is kind of him just dabbling on it to begin with oh yeah you're right yes Wait, did he did he do Dalton's films? Yep. Oh, this is okay, his first yeah. of five. Five? Yeah, he di- he has directed the most James Bond films out of anyone. What? <laughs> yeah, wow! I know he directed not... License to Kill. I thought he stopped at the end of Roger Moore. Oh no, no, he did the next two as well. Oh blimey! Okay, wow. Yeah, that's such different films. That's crazy. I know. Okay, then that's interesting. Yeah, this is the guy. Mr. Bond, mm. they call him. Mr. Bond. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so after that... Uh, also, I guess we should say that John Glenn was an editor of the franchise before this point. Um, so I think we made a joke in the last episode about get, make this editor, give him the realm, uh, the reins. This is why. Because he edited the last few films and then was brought uh, brought forward to direct, similar to peter hunt did back in on a Majesty's secret service only this time rather than peter leaving uh john glenn stuck around for four more films after this wait so does that mean that john glenn was the one who did the pigeon the double taking pigeon yeah wow he edited it (laughs) he was in charge of that explains the chimney stuff yeah it really does they toned him down (laughs) he had a much much. wackier thing (laughs) Uh, yeah, so that's a, it's a very brief scene because they're just leaving their hotel to fly back home. Uh, and we cut to Bond with the Minister of Defence and the Chief of Staff, Bill Tanner, again. And this time Bill is very mad and he was like, Bond, you were meant to get information off Hector, not let him die. Um, of which Bond says, well, I saw someone pay off uh, Hector when I was there. Of which Bill then says, or Chief of Staff says, hey, go and use the identograph then. Of which Bond says, all right, I'll go and speak to Q to use the identograph for this. And he's like, oh, yes, why don't you get cracking 007? And I think he might say, like, try not to muck it up or something, or that might be later. Like, ugh, it's just awful. Like, it's just so... Because this is the problem. Like, the way this film is set up and the way the plot goes is that 007 is supposed to, like, mess up early on. But rather than having someone kind of like and then they have Bill Tanner berate him, this young guy, and I mean we've already covered it, but it just comes up again, and it comes up again after this, of which he's just it's supposed to be Bond trying to redeem himself a bit in front of their eyes, and it's just oh it just doesn't work. I, I really hate this character. What I don't get from this scene, so Bond's there and he's got his report and he's getting told off, as you say, 
And then he says to the Ministry of Defence, well, if you care to look at paragraph blah, 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 where I wrote that I spotted um, someone handing money over, that that could be a lead. And then the Ministry of Defence says, I don't follow. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what don't you follow about that? Come it, again? Th- there is nothing to get confused about with what Bond is saying there. There is no reason to say I don't follow. That is a clear line to follow. You are stupid. So Bond then explains, okay, so people use money in exchange for goods and services. (laughs) I see. Hmm. It's just such a tiny line, but it really irked me. It's like, you're the Minister of Defence. What do you mean you don't follow? (laughs) Come on. Oh, I wish Q was there to give one of his, like, explanations. Well, you see, it's quite simple, really. Uh, (laughs) Hitmen are people who are paid to assassinate others. Oh, okay. Oh, do, oh, I see. It, it would on, be quite yes. simple to, to give him some money and, and have him go murder the man, you see, and he would be in connection. Very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been that would have been great. But no, instead, I just was left annoyed. Yeah. Silly, silly Frederick Gray. <laughs> Sir Frederick Gray. Excuse Sorry. me. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so this then leads to 007 going or Bond going to Q Branch. We get a nice little shot of Q Branch again where there's a man in a cast with a broken arm or something and Bond asks, how's the arm? And he can't remember exactly what he says. I think he says getting better or something. And it then smashes the dummy head next to him and, and breaks it. And Bond asks Q about the identograph as they're kind of walking through and we see some more gadgets going on in the background. A woman pours water onto an umbrella, which a dummy is holding. And then the umbrella closes in with these hooks and stabs the person, which is a horrendous way to kill someone. I don't even know if you would kill them, (laughs) but you'd stab them in the chest real good. Um, Of which Bond sees that and says, stinging in the rain. (laughs) And Q says, that's not funny, 007. I had to agree with Q on this one. Not not your best. I I wrote that one down. Uh, There's so many I don't write down of Bond's scripts. I actually wrote that one down. I liked it. (laughs) Stinging in the rain. And then Ministry of Defence says, I don't get it. It's, what's that mean? Well, you well, see, you see. <laughs> there's a song. Uh, oh, all right, yeah, all right. I, I want every every pun now. I want it to, like, a reaction shot of the minister. Just say, I, okay. I, don't, Come I again. don't understand. <laughs> shocking. Positively shocking. What? Well, a man just died. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... We then, they eventually get to the Lotus and this time it's painted in red and Bond comments about it being put back together and yeah, they, I I guess, I don't know if they rebuilt it or I'm assuming they just built him a new Lotus, only this time they didn't put as many gadgets in it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's very brief, but yeah, they, they show the Lotus back, but this time in red, so that's going to be the car for the film. And they go into this room where the identograph is and it's quite a small room and these these big machines in there and we see them or Bond pick up these big like, I don't know, what like these big circles almost like, what's it like, what's it called? What you put in a projector? Like, uh, like reels. Yeah, reels, that's the one. Like these big white reels and puts a load of them in and as they do that, uh, Q and Bond talk about the machine and Q says this is a device that has databases from all over the world and lists all these different databases, Interpol and, and things like that. And, and then they say, right, we're going to find the man. And Bond looks at one very small screen 
which has a face on it made out of like green wireframe, and Q is at the other uh, panel, is at a screen and with a keyboard, and Bond then starts describing the man. And as he describes the man, he's like, uh, yeah, he was, uh, I don't know, whatever age he was. He had this sort of face, white, uh, male, average height, you know, that sort of thing. And as he's describing it, Q is programming that in. And they are tweaking this face as we go. Uh, <laughs> then He's like, he had a bit of a bigger nose. And then the nose goes really long. And it's <laughs> like, he, Q, he has a nose, not a banana. Which Q then just oh sorry, <laughs> I I really love this scene. I think it's so cute seeing Q and Bond work together like this because it then cuts to Sharon and assistant coming, giving them tea, and they've they've taken their jackets off and they've been there for a while. But there's like so they've clearly been in here working to build this image on this computer to identify the man. But it's it's just really nice to see them work in this way where they're. They're still like butting heads a little bit, but in more like a productive kind of friendly way. I'm going to say it. This is probably my favorite Q scene so far oh, out I can of see all it. of the Bond yeah. films. I I loved, I loved this whole, from the start, like even the stinging in the rain. I loved the whole thing. I loved the gadgets. Um, and as you say, I, I think the thing I like about this is something we haven't seen in a while is Bond going to Q rather than the other way around where it's usually been Q coming out on location and you, you know seeing Q in his element in his own office in his Q branch it's just it just feels better I like that I mean don't get me wrong I like when Q comes out and visits Bond but we've had that a lot and it's nice to get this back again and one little thing just before I talk about the identograph stuff did you notice the tune on the keypad to get in the door Oh, I just, is it, oh, I'm going to say no. Okay. It's um because yeah, the, the gag is, is that Q does it and then goes to wait for the door to open, but he's missed a bit. So Bond then just puts in the last two, two numbers and it opens for him, but it's, it's nobody does it better. Oh, <laughs> it's the tune, which is a much better way of doing that. If you're going to do any sort of Bond reference, no whistling midgets. Let's have just a little keypad tune. I mean, they did it in Moonraker, right? With that other I can't remember what film it was, but yeah, um, nice little, nice little thing there. But yeah, this whole scene with them actually in the identograph stuff, as you say, taking the jackets off, cups of tea. Thanks, Sharon. I'll lock up. I love. <laughs> I just love seeing a Q just working, and the idea that you know, yeah, he's got his own staff and his own friends and people he knows in in the Q branch, and I'll lock up. You know, finish the day. I've been there for a while. Um, I, it comes. It's no, no reason for it, but I like the red light. It kind of makes it a bit eerie, and it's just, oh, what's this thing going on? Um, it does eventually turn off, though I think. And yeah, it's just great. And I love how you even get them uh, drinking in sync. I don't know if that was on purpose, but they both take a drink at exactly the same time, so they're sort of mirrored. And it's just cute, as you say. It's just Bond and Q working together. It's more than just a gadget script like here's your gadgets here's what they do be careful 007 and, and a and a face palm or whatever it's actually them doing something productive and and it's great by far the best QC i've seen so far oh yeah i agree really enjoyable i mean it's also there's a charm to this the technology that they're just using this identograph because it just is so like 
it's the 80s, but it's futuristic because the screens they use are tiny. It's like that Simpsons joke about uh, where Dr. Frink says, like, I predict in the future that machines will be, computers will be like 10 times bigger, but twice as powerful. <laughs> and <laughs> this is kind of what they do where these machines are massive and they only have these like little screens. And the only thing on the screens is one has text and the other one just has this wireframe face. Uh, so there's a real charm to it. Like, it's complete nonsense. Uh, like, it's not correct by any means. But the fact that it's not correct by any means, and they're also, like, really, like, it's meant to be an impressive machine, and they spend ages trying to get this going as well. It's uh, It definitely adds another charm to it, and another little layer, seeing this, like, green wireframe face tweak as they kind of work on it. Yeah, you have to wonder. They got quite far with just the first few things Bond says. I wonder what took them the rest of the day. <laughs> It doesn't change that much. Yeah, I don't know. It's the glasses. When you make a character in a video game, it doesn't take four hours. <laughs> it's it's just it's just Q being a bit doddery on as you, as you say, it's all the little sounds as well, the little tiny bits of dialogue you get where where Bond's saying uh, a bit wider, uh, yeah, a bit more like that, a bit higher, and then you just hear Q going, "Oh, okay, yes, mm, yes, all right, okay." And I just it's just so it's so. Uh, almost mundane but it works because it's just you 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 haven't really seen this before yeah the the nose button banana bit might be my favorite cue moment (laughs) it's just no sorry it's such an obvious gag but the fact that it's just so genuinely just a small oh sorry Uh. (laughs) (laughs) it's so good so funny (laughs) yeah great scene yeah so this eventually ends with them getting the guy they get him although it's quite funny because the very the the whole point in this character or the most distinctive thing about him is the glasses where you whenever you see him it's like ah, oh, the man with glasses the evil guy man with glasses uh, but they don't do that until the very end so they get the face right and then bond just says okay and then put on the glasses then the glasses go on it's like that's the guy there's our man <laughs> <That's him. laughs> uh, so then they turn on all the lights and they scan this face in the databases they have access to and it comes up with a name which is, well, Locke is what is generally referred to. I don't know his full name. I don't know if you do. Emil, Emil Leopold Locke. There we go. That's the guy. He'll be referred to as Locke from now on. Uh, so, yeah, they say, here's the guy. He's a... What do they say he does? He's like a killer. or so, Like, he's got a load of crimes. Like he's oh, he's done of, everything. Yeah, he's yeah. some sort of criminal who's currently, I think, working in uh, northern Italy. Uh, so Bond goes back up to the Bill Tanner and says, uh, yeah, his, this is the guy. And Bond's going to Northern Italy to track him down, of which he says, try not to muck it up again, which I, I swore in my notes at that point. I'm like, just get lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not. I I think he does appear again in the film, but I don't think he talks. Like, I think he oh, okay. briefly appears at the end, you know, with the very last scene with the phone. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's it. We are now done with this character, but it's like, oh, God, just get out of it. We have such a nice scene with Q. Why do we have to come back to this guy? <laughs> like, Bond could have just said to him, like, oh, that guy who works in Northern Italy. All right, I'm off. Didn't have to go upstairs. Uh, uh, yeah, there's one line as well. I, we, we talk about the scene a lot, but you know, I really liked it. It's, it's very strange how... Um, what does Bond say? I thought I wrote this down. No, I didn't. But when Bond is actually leaving, and it's just, um, he just says to Q, 
let me out, will you? And it's just quite, um, <laughs> I don't know why this really stood out to me, but I guess it just kind of shows, it, it, it gives them a bit of actual, like they are friends, you know what I mean? Because mm. it was such an informal way, oh, let me out, will you? And it's, it's yeah, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but it, it shows that there's actually something there between them and it's more than just a professional relationship. Yeah, which by this point, I, I don't know if it's meant to also tie into what I was saying before, the idea that Bond is a fet at this point and has worked with Q many times. Uh, so it might be leaning a little bit more into that as well. Yeah. yeah. Which works very well, especially with Roger and how Desmond also plays it. They they work off each other very nicely. Anyway, um, Locke is in Cortina. So... That's where Bond has to go. Did you mention about that? I, I just said Northern Italy. Northern Italy, yeah. So Bond, Bond, uh, Locke, Locke was last seen in Cortina or something like that. So that's where Bond has to head to next. And so he does. And we do get a very brief hotel scene. It's a lovely snowy location, Northern Italy. And yeah, Bond does very briefly go into his hotel room. Not very long, but it seems obligatory at this point to have Bond in, in the hotel, as we all know. And... The main thing that really happens here is that he starts to run a bath, a steamy bath or a shower, I don't know what it was, and the steam reveals a message on the mirror. Um, I don't know if this was meant to be he knew that was there, I'm guessing so, or maybe he just really wanted a bath. <laughs> oh, I, th- I think he knew he was there. He must know, yeah, he must have known it was there. Anyway, the, the message on the mirror is uh, a location of where to meet. Um, which ends up being the Olympic Park, Olympic Rink, Skate Rink, that's what it is, um, to go meet Ferrara, who is a contact in Northern Italy. And so he meets Ferrara, who's this dodgy-looking man. Um, I think he actually met him in the doorway of the hotel as well. And uh, I say dodgy looking man. It's just because he had a hat on and he's got these glasses. <laughs> he's very 80s glasses <laughs> on. Uh, but he's there just to give Bond a bit of information. And this is where I'm going to start tripping up because there's a lot of information in these scenes coming up, especially with who we then meet. But basically, there is a man called Christatos, a Greek informant who is there ready to meet Bond at the skate rink. And tell him more. <laughs> I'm saying this in a very questioning tone because I'm re- I'm relying on you to if I've missed anything important. That's about it, right? It's, it's another one of these. They love these scenes. Bond goes to speak to a man who says, "You need to go speak another man about this man." <laughs> it's just like, like Luigi's such a nothing character in this. It's just his his contact there who's then saying, "We need to go and speak to this other guy," but he's like he bigs him up. He's like, he was given the King's Medal by the British government. And he's very trustworthy, like, and very reliable. So they're really bigging this guy up. I forgot his name was Luigi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. It's one of the, it's this sort of, it's these scenes in Bond that I dread having to talk about in this podcast. Because it's the scenes where you just, you just watch it. You know what I mean? But yeah. if you actually start to think about what is happening this person's talking to this person, and oh, actually, he knows about this, and yeah. So once you get into the nitty gritty, you start getting bogged down. Anyway, there's a Greek informant, Christatos. So they go to meet him at the at the skating rink. Um, he's sat down next to it, and you do see this um, this young ice skater 
skating around uh, in this blue, bright blue outfit. Um, and yeah, they they introduce themselves. Oh, there's also there is creepy guy. I, it, what, no, we, I need to say it's his lock. name now. I can't say creepy guy anymore. No, it's Locke. <laughs> it's Locke. Damn it! I'm gonna I have to, I'm gonna trip up on that. It's Locke. Locke is also there. He's kind of watching from afar. Um, but yeah, Bond sits down. Bond and Luigi sit down with Christatos and basically just ask for information about uh, Locke and who this man is. And Christatos is there watching this this young ice skater because he is uh, she's his protege. Turns out BB is her name. She'll come back later on. Um, so yeah, he's there watching her perform and practice. But meanwhile, also there to like to tell Bond about um, Locke. And basically, Locke is yeah, kind of like what they read on the on the identograph screen. Is like a nasty man, and um, he is the right hand man of someone called Columbo, also known as the Dove. The Dove coming into play as well later on. So that's kind of. That's pretty much it about Columbo, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, he says that they were brothers once. So right, they used they, to yeah. fight together and they were fighting the communists. But now they've separated where Columbo has gone into the Greek underworld. Uh, so they were very close, but now they're not anymore. Right. Yeah. And then at this point, BB... Uh, BB, yeah. Um, BB skates over and kind of introduces herself or, or Chris Hassos introduces her to Bond. And you say about the whole Roger Moore age thing and, and how they dealt with it quite well. And they, they do because of what we see between these two characters coming up. But it still doesn't really make much sense why BB finds him so attractive because she does. <laughs> she she, you know, she flirts. She's looking at him, and and uh, eventually asks uh, Chris Satos if Bond can take her um, sk- uh, skiing to go watch a, a competition later on because Chris Satos is busy with something. So she asks if Bond can do it instead. But it's, I do find it quite difficult to believe that she's meant to be like what seventeen, or she's meant to be very young, and yet she's finding crinkly old Roger Moore attractive. Oh, Maybe God. she's just into older men. <laughs> You've changed, Joe. You've changed. What do you mean? <laughs> that body pillow is <laughs> <laughs> Listen, even I can't even I can't uh understand this relationship. <laughs> like... yeah, I take it as the rebellious teenager kind of so what because they, they set it up where what's the Greek guy's I put him as Greek man in my notes, I don't know his name. Chris Greek man? Yeah. Oh, Christatos. Christatos. I'm not going to remember that. Call him Chris. Good, good, good old Chris. Chrissy. Uh, I take it that this guy, because, you know, he's, she's the protégé and she's me- he's meant to be like a father figure to her. And overall throughout the film where she's very like, she has a teacher there and she's meant to be quite strict as well, where she's all training, training, training. So I take it as more as just like young woman who's kind of like being uh, like forced to be like, where like the parents are being too heavy-handed right so they end mm. up rebelling and going the other way yeah. so i take it as that where we have roger moore who's he's still got a little something going on he's still got a little it's not, <laughs> a little not something something <laughs> a little something you know a little something for the ladies but uh yeah so she, she just sees like an attractive foreign suave guy 
and because she's in a rebellious phase where people are trying to like suppress her she's now going so far the other way that she's just going to throw herself at bond i took it as that yeah that does make a lot of sense it does make a lot of sense i suppose at this point i was a bit confused because we don't we don't really see i mean i guess you do see the the seemingly evil coach training her a lot but yeah, you don't really get her and Christatos breaking down in, in the relationship. So right now I was like, what, why? There's, there's probably so many nice young men for you <laughs> in the ski resort. <laughs> why are you looking at, at Bond? But yeah, that does make total sense what you're saying. I do want to say, uh, going back a bit, because I've been reading the script again for this film. And okay. it's very interesting. So all that Q stuff that we liked isn't in the script. Oh, the script is very to the point of just like, how was his jaw? And Bond describes the jaw. And then Bond just says, this is how the cheeks was and stuff. And Q's like, how's the hair? And then Bond's like, it was dark hair, shorter at the back. And that's it? So it seems like all that back and forth was actually just them on the day and them tweaking the script to make that work, which makes it even more likable. Like none of this stuff about the back and forth is in there at all. That's just them. That's just them too. Just their that's chemistry. so lovely. That's great. Uh, but anyway yeah it's very interesting i'm gonna probably have to because I, I, I keep reading this script <laughs> as we're going Joe, you know i might need to get this script up for some things <laughs> yeah like it seems very official because it has things like all oh, 12th of august 1918 and copyright and make sure to return this so it's the proper script but yeah it's uh, a lot of changes so i'm gonna get rid of this now because i'm getting too distracted but that just says more <laughs> about this scene and what's going on i think more than, uh, yeah I, I do. I mean, I've liked a lot of what's happened so far in this film, but this scene is, as I say, it's just a lot of information. Um, and this is where I really trip over, like trying to follow a lot. This is this is where, you know, when you're watching a film, you just want to you just want to watch it. You know, you don't want to take on board too much. That's kind of what I did. So yeah. Yeah, um, I guess the bullet points are we meet Chrissy, who's this Greek guy. <laughs> And there's Colombo, a former guy who's the bad one, who is known as the Dove, who hires Locke. So Locke is working for him. And then we have BB, who's a young woman who's into Bond, who's skating. And then her um, teacher is there and she's a character. Uh, and I think Luigi's like Bond and Luigi leave. It's quite funny because Bond gets a handshake of Chris, but uh, Luigi doesn't. <laughs> like, Uh-oh, awkward. Need. There's no need for that. <laughs> um, but Luigi says to Bond, or oh, Bond is like, could the dove... Could uh, Colombo salvage a ship? Does he have the resources? Of which Luigi says, absolutely, uh, he could do that. So Bond's like, okay, so this is probably our guy who is probably currently trying to salvage the ship um, as we speak. Right. But then how does that lead on? Oh, right. We get Melina again. I forgot about this bit. Yeah, so Bond leaves, uh, sends Luigi away. And Bond sees Melina enter a shop, which is a hunting shop, um, and she's buying a rifle in there. So Bond hides into a flower ship shop nearby. Uh, we also see some motorbikes are there. Just, there's motorbikes, I guess. Menacing. Yeah, very creepy. <laughs> so Bond has gone into the flower shop, and the woman who works there goes up to him. And he's like, oh, can I have a dozen lilies, I guess? Um, and Melina leaves the shop and we see the motorbikes approach of which I don't think I wrote this down very well because <laughs> it's like 
Yeah, so the motorbikes then go to attack Melina, and Bond grabs like one of those parking arm things that like go up yeah. and down, and just yeah. smacks one of the motorbike guys, who then flips into the flower shop, and smashes it entirely. And the woman's there holding the the lilies for Bond, of which Bond says, "Send them to the funeral, won't you?" Which, okay, <laughs> that's the least of her worries now. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. It's not really a pun, is it? But it kind of makes me think, well, at least the pun got a reaction out of me. This is just... <laughs> yeah, that's It just true. feels a bit half-hearted. Yeah. Uh, but then Bond catches up to Melina, and Melina says that she received a telegram from Bond saying that Locke was here and to come over, uh, which Bond said, nope, that wasn't me. We're not doing that. Which is a plot point I actually don't understand at all. I completely yeah, forgot this happens. Me too. Where does that even go? Or yeah, is explained? I, I don't know if they ever explain who sent Melina the telegram. Huh. That's a really good point. <laughs> who, who? Who did who? this? I will find this out. I'll check the script. Here we go. Let's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we've lost Tom. There we go. Oh. <laughs> There's a character called Max, apparently. That's weird. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, Joe investigates that. Bond says, we're leaving. Like, oh, you're leaving. And to, you know, you've got to go. You're not here for, uh, don't do this. So they quickly just get on a, a sleigh pulled by a horse. So it's very, like, kind of Christmas vibes. Very similar to on a Majesty's Secret Service a bit. I don't know if that's intentional, but I got those same sort of vibes. Because we're in northern Italy, so it's all snowy. And, you know, that's why we've got the ice rink and stuff. So they get on this sleigh. And as they're on the sleigh, the main theme starts playing, the For Your Eyes Only, we get a version of that. They use this theme in the same way they did with, like, Moonraker and Spy Who Loved Me. It's another ballad, as as Joe already said, and they use it in the same way as part of the track, where when Bond is with the Bond girl, suddenly you get this theme kick in, and it's all the romantic theme. And I'm very very looking forward to not having to do this anymore because i'm just so sick of like this formula of just like the the notes of the main theme playing and it's you know you're going into a scene between these two like this is not a bad scene at all it's just i they did it too many times in a row we need something different which i think we might get next time but i literally can't remember octopussy at all so maybe not but yeah, it's a bit silly to me that we just hear For Your Eyes Only play and then it's those two together, just like we had with Moonraker, just like we had with Nobody Does It Better. Yeah, and there's meant to be a bit of a gag with this thing where she keeps saying stop to the driver and Bond keeps saying go in Italian um, and he's just looking generally confused. But it, yeah, it's not it's not really anything um, great. And uh, it's just, as you say, it's just a, a, very, it's a very simple scene of Bond persuading Melina just to stay out of it. Like, let me deal with it. Don't worry about revenge. Um, go back home. Go back to your ship. Go back to Corfu, I think it is. Um, although I do quite like that she actually doesn't. I mean, she's just, she pops up all the time later on, so she just doesn't, just doesn't care. No, well, I think she just agrees to wait. Like, I don't think she agrees to completely say, like, no, I'm going to go and that's it. Bond just says, like, give me some time, I'll figure this out, let me handle it. And I think she just says, okay, I'll I'll wait a bit. So I don't think she actually does say, yeah, you're all good. Uh, she just waits a little bit. Bad news, I can't find any information about Telegram. Oh. We'll never know. But it's not Locke, though, <laughs> obviously. 
But who would want that? The confusing thing is, who would want her there? Like, who benefits from having Melida here? No one. No. No, unless they just wanted to kill them together. Maybe. It does feel a little bit like the plot requires Melina to be there. How would she even find that out? Can we use the private investigator thing again? I don't think we can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, twice is a bit too much. Yeah, so... So, yeah, so this then cuts the Bond back in his hotel room. He sees that somebody has entered the room. Uh, there's, like, a do not disturb sign on the door, so he gets the gun out and enters the room, and, and here's the shower going. And the door opens, and a woman comes out in a in a towel... And it's the skater from before, BB. BB's there. Good old BB. Yeah, BB's back. She jumps into bed, takes off the towel, and she's like, oh, well, I'll do anything for you. And Bond says, well, put on your clothes then. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I think is very funny. Uh, And then she's all like, hey, let's be together. And Bond's like, oh, I think you're wonderful, BB, but I don't think you're uncle. I put Uncle Harry, but does he say Harry? He says Uncle Ari. Ari. Aristotle. Aristotle, right. I, okay. I did hear Harry as well, though, yeah. Yeah, so Uncle Ari, he said he don't think he would approve of what she says. Oh, he just treats me like I'm so innocent. He thinks I'm still a virgin. Uh, of which Bond's <laughs> like... Mm, uh, you get the best eye roll, like the best sort of... It's not really an eye roll, but just this face, this reaction from Bond for that. Like the eyebrows up and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she he says, well, how about you put on your clothes and I'll buy you an ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, oh, I love that. I, I do love that they did they did go down that route. I mean, how they just couldn't have done anything there with Bond and this character because it is so clearly she's meant to be a young girl. It would have been so wrong. So, you know, they sidestepped that mine, thankfully, and they they handled it really well. And I do like... This is Roger Moore in his element. You know, this is Roger Moore... With these little, that just his whole, his whole um, acting in the scene, where so it's just a lot of a lot of huffing and puffing, and I buy you an ice. It's just so good. I love all this stuff. Yeah, I liked it as well. It's a, it's a good idea. Whether they hundred percent pull this off, I'm not so convinced. But I I like it again. It ties into the theme of an older Bond, where. A Bond, like, ten years ago when watching a film, would have probably just said, well, well be rude not to, or, or whatever, mm. um, and made a joke. But this time it's like, I'm actually kind of busy, and I don't really want to sleep with someone so young. And I think it's just a smart idea to have this type of character at this point in the franchise. Uh, and it's it's just a little bit refreshing, where she's just so throwing himself at him, and he's just like, no, no, come on, gal, let's all... <laughs> We've all got things to do, let's go get ice cream, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced by this character, but I really like the idea, and uh, it does give you some good little moments from Roger. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, they never, you actually don't see him ever get an ice cream, which is a shame. Oh. Although, why would got. you? Like, you're in northern Italy <laughs> in the snow. Is that when you're getting ice cream? True, yeah. Whoever wrote oh, this well. film, I hope they didn't become, like, the executive producer for it or anything. Oh, are you, have you got some information on that script in front of you by any chance? Well, it was co-written by Michael G. Wilson, don't you know? Oh. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he wrote the films. Uh, from what them. I've seen looking up these films, yeah, that's how he got into it. He was a writer for quite a few of them and then got promoted to 
executive producer or producer. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, no, no ice cream. We don't see any ice cream, but when oh. we do see, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but we do see them at the event that BB wanted Bond to take her to. I don't, I couldn't tell you what the event was. It's some sort of, um, you know, one of those ones that has a mixture of things. Yeah, biathlon, uh, I think it is. Biathlon. Or triathlon, or, but it's but one of those. One of those things. It's, yeah, uh, Bond and, and BB having a little skate uh, or a little ski, and then they um, they stop and watch some shooting. Or do they watch skiing first? Something. Anyway, it's, it's, this, um, it's this big, evil-looking German man. Uh, Eric is his name, who apparently is a friend of BB's. Um, who's competing in this event and uh so they're there watching him and he's really good you know he's um he's really good skier and then he comes and does some shooting and he's shoots all the little targets really easily and he's you know always (laughs) there's a line here that i can't remember what bb says but bonds bond says you you really are fickle and she's like what (laughs) she doesn't get it (laughs) at all um i do like yeah bond just toying with her a bit uh but we see we see this guy eric do his little shooting and bond's like all right well i got to go now <laughs> we don't really get very much with her uh he he did what he sort of needed to do and he wants to get on with um investigating and you know columbo and all that sort of stuff so he then starts to immediately get chased pretty much trying to think i think he's just sort of skating off through the trees and then the german guy is back yeah like we we've already seen Locke is nearby watching so as soon as bond is alone that's when they go in for the attack right so yeah bond starts to get shot at by by eric who's still got his gun from the competition um and he's sort of perched up high and bonds down below um trying to hide behind some trees and trying to trying to grab his gun, which I think was like shot out of his hand or something like that. Um, and eventually he manages to escape. I assume Eric, I can't, I think he just missed or something like that um, too many times and gave Bond the chance to escape. So he eventually skis back towards where this big ski jump is. And what do you know? The other locks there, locks there with some other guards and or other henchmen and, the German guy is right on his tail as well. So Bond takes this opportunity to try and mingle in the crowd of people nearby who are currently going up in a lift to the top of the ski jump. And Locke spots him. Doesn't really take much. <laughs> Locke does spot him in the crowd, so they do start to follow him. And then you get this, this nice little scene with um, Bond in the in the lift with all these people. And you think that he's made it just in time as the doors close before uh the bad thing locks there and and you think he's got away but no they come in just in time um and so you get these characters that want to you know they want to kill bond kind of mingled in with all the public and so they can't do anything so they're just looking at each other and obviously they want to do more but they can't um and they reach the top of the ski jump and there's a guy up there who's letting people jump off one by one and giving them the all clear and so Bond's in the queue, kind of coming up. And meanwhile, at the bottom, you have... I guess they went back down, some of them, because suddenly some of them are back at the bottom again, including the 
angry German man, he's back down there, uh, ready to shoot Bond, because they assume, right, he's going to jump off, so we can just shoot him when he lands or shoot him in the air. I don't know what they planned. Uh, and also, there's another guy kind of on the side of the ski jump as well, ready to take on Bond. They're basically kind of circling him. Uh, and Locke's also behind him, so he's got nowhere to run. So he does jump. Um, he gets the all clear from the guy and and does the ski jump, but as he's like halfway down, I don't know why they do this, but as they're halfway down, another guy jumps on, like gets onto the ski jump and starts to barge into him and put him off. But all that really does is actually hinder them because it gives Bond a, a chance to... I don't actually know what he does in this scene. I don't know what he does to actually stop the German guy shooting, but he just sort of gets the other guy in his way a little bit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's because that guy just barges into him. But then I think Bond just jumps off to the side over the top of the German guy, so he can't shoot him. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, it's also worth noting is that that guy is quite a famous actor, the one who barges him, because it's the guy from Game of Thrones. Hell, he's in loads of things. Charles Dance. Yeah, yeah. Charles Dance. So it's really odd because he's not like a proper henchman or anything. He's just a goon. Like, he's just a random goon. Um, and we only see him here. He just, he's there, like, in the lift and following Bond there. And then he barges Bond. And then I think that's it. And it's like, is that Charles Dance? Is that <laughs> to show up in my <laughs> Bond film? Because he's, he's got, like, 30 seconds of screen time and that's it. I was like, well, he's one of the most famous people in this film. Like, and he barely gets any screen time. So that was cool to see, uh, but a bit unexpected. It is weird, isn't it? You, you do see this. I do see this come up quite a lot about, can you believe this is where they first started sort of thing? Um, and yeah, he does appear one more time later on. Oh, and okay. actually, I think I think there was a deleted scene of him. <laughs> so he couldn't catch a break in that regard. You know, he did get a few deleted scenes. But yeah, he is not in it much. And it is, you're right, it is kind of weird because... He is just in everything now. Um, very famous actor. Uh, after Bond escapes, well, I say escapes, he avoids getting shot by the German guy. We then get the chase continue, uh, but this time in a bobsleigh. Uh, bobsleigh. Is it, are they just called bobsleighs? Bobsleigh a run, tube? Is what I run? Run, yeah, run. Um, I guess it's uh, harking back a bit to on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Again? But again, lots of them, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but they end up uh, skiing into uh, a bobsleigh run whilst there is actually a run going on. So there is a, you know, there's a group of people in front of Bond um, and also the German guy behind him. So he's sort of trapped in the middle of these two people. And uh, I this scene is actually, I thought this scene was really good in the bob, bobsleigh run because... Um, you get some really cool camera angles. I think it, I did watch some like behind the scenes thing on the Blu-ray disc about how it was uh, one of the stunt guys just had the camera in between his legs as he as he skied down and then did it backwards sometimes as well to get the reverse shot. So yeah, it is quite. Um, it's to me, it's miles better than whatever we got bobsleigh wise in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I really like this whole thing going on because you you do get Bond worrying about the people in front and it's a bit silly but you know asking them to speed up and get out of the way and it's <laughs> as if they really would be able to see this going on and actually be able to react but yeah i do, this is all very confusing to me doing this because 
I feel very similar about this as I did the the Spanish car chase, where it just didn't do anything for me. I just really? thought it was really a bit lame. But as you describe it, you're right. There's a lot of really cool stuff in this, and there's a lot of really good shots, and it's a pretty intense chase, and there's some cool moments, and just the idea of Bond in this bobsled being chased by a motorbike, that's cool. I think that sounds really awesome, and I should really enjoy it, but I just didn't. And I don't know if I'm just burnt out by skis and ski chases because I get they're going back to basics here, but we've just seen this so often and arguably they have done enough. You know, the bobsleigh thing is does help separate it out a bit, but I don't know. I just don't want to see it anymore. They've just done it too much and I don't know what they should have done instead. I think the motorbike stuff doesn't really do anything for me. I think that's what's kind of supposed to help separate it, that it's Bond being chased by a motorbike. And that is something, you know, that's a cool idea because it's not just skiers. It's Bond having to outrace a motorbike and does it in quite outlandish kind of crazy ways uh, by putting his pole in between two trees and that knocks over someone on the bike who's following him in this very small route. But I just felt nothing during this scene. I, I just... But yeah, when I think about it, I should have liked it, but I just don't. Just thought it was a bit mm. naff. I mean, you are right in that we we have had a lot of ski stuff now. It does feel that way. Uh, it's one of those things. It is a Bond staple to have ski chases and ski scenes and snowy things. But yeah, so there is an element of enough is enough. At least this one to me, I, I do like the whole uh, Olympic inclusion and and separating it a bit more that way as well and having a few more people around, a few more buildings, and it just seems a bit more um, like Bond actually in the middle of, of somewhere, that, and not just on this this mountain in the, in the middle of nowhere. It's actually around people. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a shame, because I, I, I really liked, as I say, I really liked the car chase earlier on, and I really liked this scene as well. This is, I think, another example of, we talked about it last week, about if we watch these in a random order... Like, if I was just in the mood for some Bond and I hadn't seen one in a while and I put on this film, I probably would enjoy it a lot more. But seeing it like this, and this might be refilling my hand a bit, this film just doesn't do that much interesting for me. And it kind of ties to these action scenes where on paper, as I read this script, I'm like, that sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm up for that. Uh, But when I actually watch it, I don't know if it's John Glenn's acting style or what, but it's just just never does it for me and i i've just come away a bit kind of disappointed but i as you describe it i'm like that sounds great but my experience of actually watching it was this is kind of no i i don't like this and he jumps over a donkey don't forget that as well he didn't that's a huge part of it there's a donkey in this scene wait is there yeah so there's the barn so like bond jumps over a man with his donkey and then the German guy, Eric, jumps and goes into a chicken coop. And there's a load of chickens there. Oh, and that's how he bends his gun. Yeah, because he crashes into a chicken coop. And then he just gets really angry and throws the bike. Yeah, so Bond just leaves. <laughs> Bond's like, all right, we'll see <laughs> well, you. Bye. You're not going to hit me with a big bike, so bye. <laughs> just skis off. Yeah, but... Yeah, again, on paper, I think if you took the scene as a vacuum, it's pretty good. I just just didn't do much for me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but this then ends with, yeah, like as we say, Eric is shown to be super strong because he can pick up a motorbike and throw it, 
which he does and just misses by a mile but it's still pretty you don't have to be super strong for that you think you could do that joe i could do that could you yes (laughs) are you saying yes because you don't have to prove it yes yes this is not a video podcast thank god okay we'll get that we'll get a tiktok off of that that's fine Follow Bond Revisited on TikTok for Joe throwing a motorbike. Joe getting crushed by a motorbike. (laughs) (laughs) His legs couldn't take it. Try to walk. You're you're right, because he picks up a big stone at the end. So he clearly is super strong. Yeah, they're kind of dropping those hints that uh, Eric is kind of the henchman of the film, who I'm not a big fan of, I'll be honest. But he's supposed to be a more traditional kind of henchman where it's just like a big dude who's German and he's super strong and that's it like there's no nothing crazy here uh, i do like how they introduced him as you say with the olympic stuff where they show he's a really good shot it doesn't mm. go anywhere uh, but he's supposed to be just this extremely capable person who's also really strong so it's a more back to basics uh, henchman with Eric. yeah definitely yeah and with that you have reached the end of part one of episode 12 of the bond revisited podcast Join myself and Tom next time where Bond meets face-to-face with the Dove. Things kick off with Locke before Bond goes rock climbing to finally track down the ATAC. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for part two.